we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. <laughs> How's it going, Willow? It's going great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So today, I feel like there should be a little more banter in between... Okay. Stuff. Well, listeners, I'll have you know that right before we started recording, I did a little jig to the Cotton Eye Joe by Bill Monroe. So, yes, just to get myself going for this episode, because I'm excited and you should be, too. I am also excited. <laughs> <laughs> Sequoia did not join me in doing a little jig, but that's OK. That's all right. I ha- I put in enough energy for the two of us. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Today. We are continuing the story of Jack Parsons. And, you know, I knew this was going to be a very big series. Yeah. Even I was not prepared. Yeah, you started off saying three parts. Now we're out to four. And I have no problem with it. I'm excited for it because we need the amount of... Yeah. We need this. these... Yeah. This this story is crazy. And every single every single bit of it, every single like sentence in the source book I'm using, Strange Angel, is just like so good and so interesting. Yeah. So who knows how long it is. But so I've just been I have watched so many rocket videos. Yeah. In the last week. Big rockets, little rockets. You know so much more about rockets now than you did before. They're so cool. Yeah. They're so fucking cool. You learned about solid fuel, liquid fuel, we're gonna, poop. We're going to learn a lot more about the pee pee poo poo fuel. Good. Yeah. Fuel, uh, fuel dichotomy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I will say that analogy really helps lock me into learning about it. Just hell yeah. Yeah. yeah you need that. Yeah. Something you can relate to. I need to. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when we last left off, the Suicide Squad, Jack Parsons, Frank Molina, and Ed Foreman had finally secured a bit of funding and become the first government sanctioned rocket lab in, in the country. Yay, funding. And they 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 got uh, a grant of like $10,000 to draw up a proposal, uh, JATOs, jet-assisted, jet-assisted takeoff engines, to get planes to be able to take off with smaller runways by giving them jet assistance as just these rockets you strap to the bottom of the wings. And that was their idea that they tried to sell to the government, right? Right. And because so, what they wanted was to be able to use less land. Yeah, exactly. To use their aircrafts, right? Yeah, as so stuff, they wanted to figure out how to get crafts off the ground without yep. having to use such a long airstrip. Right. So and that that's meant, why they needed the rocket guys. Yeah, that's how they sold it to them. And they were like, you know what? That's a okay idea. Some of them were like, rockets are dumb. Mm-hmm. We're still not going to give it to them. But they, you know, they drafted a proposal. They looked at it and they're like, word. Okay, here's 10 grand. Let's see what you got, boys. But the important thing is that they were the first, you know, government-approved rocket research lab in in the history of American rocketry. There's something to be said for that. Quite a lot of considering two-thirds of this group had high school. No, Ed didn't even have a high school diploma, you know? Really? Yeah, Ed dropped out of high school in the the Depression. 
uh, after the crash and shit. Uh-huh. But yeah, they weren't Caltech educated. So yeah, right. They're just these yahoos, right? At the same time as this is happening, Jack and his wife, Helen, started hanging out a little bit at the Ordo Templi Orientis, the, the Thalamic Fraternal Order. Though they weren't full members yet, they just started hanging out there, checking out the Gnostic Mass. Right. Um, and they were invited by the brother and sister. Yes, the brother and sister. The that, brother who had a crush on Jack. Yes. And the sister who had a crush on Helen. Yeah, yeah. It's like the last time we hear about those people, too. Yeah. It's just a It's just a, a fun key detail it in is. their introduction to the it OTO. Is. Yeah, it is. And perhaps some listeners' introduction to the OTO, if they've never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to, I think in a minute we're going to do a second tarot pull. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a card read for each of these episodes and then see what it says at the end, you know. But before we do that, we're going to be talking a lot about Thalema this week, especially as Jack and Helen get further into the side of magic and Aleister Crowley and all this. And now I am not a Thelemite. Thalema is a religion. It is a mm-hmm. religion founded by Aleister Crowley. And that's a really important thing to harp on. Like it is a religion. There is yeah. clergy. There is a... It's a legitimate religion. Yeah, it's a legitimate religion. And I'm not a Thelemite. Uh, I have... In a lot of ways, I have a lot of respect for Aleister Crowley. He's definitely a big influence on a lot of my thinking. I mean, I mm-hmm. use his fucking tarot deck, for Christ's sakes. Yeah. I still love to fucking make fun of him and think he was a huge douchebag. You know? mm-hmm. I like, think a lot of Thelemites would agree with you. I think they would. And, you know, they're... But, yeah. So, I just want to say that because, like, we've talked a lot of shit on people who don't know us in real life. They, they might suspect that we're about to talk shit about another religion. Yeah, no. You know what I mean? And I just wanted yeah. to say that I have... Well, we it, are, but no. Oh, we're definitely going to talk. About <laughs> we are going to run our fucking mouths. That is but we also sure. have respect. I have infinitely more respect for Thalema mm-hmm. than any other religion we've ever covered. That's just. Yeah. That's just true. But we are going to talk shit and it's going to be fun. Yes. So with that, let us uh, let us do our terrible. Yes. Shall we? Okay. Queen of Cups. Interesting. Queen of Cups. The watery element of water. The, wa- the watery water. The watery water. You waskawi wabbit. Shut up. Get it out of here. <laughs> uh, okay. 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 And now we're just going to set that aside and we're going to revisit these cards at the end of our, our series and see how they they line up with things. Mm-hmm. We're kind of winging it with this. We've never done, done it quite yeah. this way before. I already have thoughts percolating in my mind oh, too, pertaining sure. to the Queen of Cups, but we won't get into it now. We we'll get, get into it, it later. Yeah. We have other things, other yep. business to get we into. We have other business to attend to. So put on your business suits, everybody. Put on your business socks. You're going to have a good time. So by the year 1939, the great beast 666, the wickedest man in the world, Freighter Perturabo, Tomegatherian, Alistair Crowley, was deep in his third act. As George Pendle, the author of Strange Angel, puts it, he was an anachronism, a bygone tabloid devil. Like so, he, he was fucking in old. his third act. Yeah, meaning he, this isn't necessarily his heyday anymore. No, he's we're now like 1939. Yeah, he's he's not a young buck no more. No, he's got about seven years left to live, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he's fucking old. He's soft. He's a bygone tabloid. He's no longer the terrifying or. Mm-hmm young man founding Thalema, like, he's done a lot of his shit. Um, and before Crowley entrusted Wilfred Smith in the founding of the Agape Lodge in L.A., like, he had already taken control over the OTO, essentially, you know, turned it from a Masonic organization to a Thalamic organization. But membership had dropped 
What is the Agape Lodge? The Agape Lodge is the lodge in Pasadena or in LA. Okay. The the one headed by Wilfred Smith that Jack and Jack and Helen show up to for the Gnostic. Oh, the OTO Lodge. Yeah, it's the OTO Lodge. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Wilfred Smith is the founder of OTO. He's the founder of the Agape Lodge. He's the gas station clerk. So the Agape Lodge is, if you're going to put this into Christian terms, it's a, a church. Yeah, well, it's of it's the a, OTO. It's a fraternal organization, so they have a yeah. lodge, and that's just like a, a lodge, like a, a Masonic lodge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same exact okay. concept. Just yeah, just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like a lounge of like uh, I don't know, the Knights of Columbus or whatever, or any type of silly club. Yeah, right. The Agape Lodge was the only one in America. Okay, I believe like and. I'm about to get into all this. Is that clear, though? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Before Agape Lodge was founded, the OTO was in Europe, and it was in you know England and stuff. But All right. So now right. we're seeing it come to America? Yes, because the OT- after Crowley took control, OTO membership started dropping, and he was Crowley was kind of losing believers in Thalema, in huh. the OTO. The OTO, OTO membership had dropped to around 50 people. And then, like, we can't get into Crowley's life, but there's a yeah. lot of shit that happens in that life. Like, right, and if you right. do know Crowley's life, like, this is after. A, just a basic understanding of, like, the relationship between the OTO, Thelema, yeah. and the law. Yeah, let me see if I can break it down. Thelema is the religion. Yes. So Thelema is the religion founded by Crowley. Yep. And the OTO, like, there are, there's the AA, which is a separate organization than the OTO, just like the Jesuits are a separate organization than... Okay. The Dominicans or something. You know what I mean? There's different so the groups of people. So the is the trunk of the tree. Then it has some branches. There's different Christian organizations, yeah. right? There's different organizations that are within Christianity. Yeah. Or different Catholic organizations. Same principle. Same with the Lema. The OTO is like the Knights of Columbus. Okay. Right. You can't talk about the OTO without talking about the Lema, but you can talk about the Lema without talking about the OTO. Right. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, cool. It gets fucking stupid and complicated and nerdy. Mm-hmm. It just it just does. But before Agape Lodge was founded, membership of the OTO had dropped to around 50 people. And uh, yeah. oh, pathetic. And Crowley. Uh, like worldwide or just in this lodge? This is before Agape Lodge was founded. Oh, so, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not good. It's not good. 50? <laughs> yeah, 50. Oh. And Crowley's old. And uh, like Crowley, like while, while Crowley's inexplicable charm still attracted women to him. His writings betray, at this time, betray a complete lack of interest. Of one encounter, he talks of, unquote, frigging a woman for human kindness' sake. Yeah, I just did it out of the goodness of my heart. Literally, dude, it's, it's fucking funny. She just wanted to say that she banged me, so I did it. Yeah, no. She wanted to bang the great beast. Yeah. Uh, besides such charity work, um, <laughs> Crowley spent his days playing chess, shooting heroin, eating ice cream, and watching movies. Crowley fucking loved cartoons and he fucking loved cartoons. Yes. And he would go to movies just to see the the cartoons they used to play at the beginning. Uh-huh. Right. And he went to this one movie called A Night to Remember, which is about the sinking of the Titanic. Um, wow. And just to just to see the cartoon, probably. I mean, maybe he enjoyed the movie. I don't know. But he wrote about the cartoon in his journal afterwards. He wrote, Donald Duck's Garden Technicolor. Infinitely sad. Mr. Crowley. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I do want to see it. I, I, I'm, I'm also wondering if it's sad. Yeah. Uh, what ha- What happens in that garden? I don't know. I, wanna, I so want to know Crowley's like symbolic interpretation of it. Like that's so fucking interesting to me. 
And like Crowley also wrote of his affairs uh, at the time he wrote, and quote, no cash, no credit, no news, no tobacco, no friends, no printer, no hope, no bloody nothing. Whoa. <laughs> so it's not, yeah. It wasn't entirely true. He did have one last hope, and that was the dreamland of California, right? Oh. In the in the 1920s, you know, um, like 1929 or so. Like, this is California, 1929. It's that... California. California. I love when people say that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just had to do it. Hell yeah. This can I do it again? Yeah, you can. California. Yeah. <laughs> this, like, fucking, you know, infinite grab bag of all these religions and dreamers and mm-hmm. hopeful movie stars and shit. And then also uh, the psychic climate of the Great Depression, post-1929. Yeah. When Crowley was telling Wilfred Smith to found a lodge in, in L.A., he wrote, and quote, the world is drowning. That is exactly why it will clutch at a straw. You got to get them while they're weak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, mm, I respect you as a businessman, I guess. Mr. Crowley. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. The duality of man, right? And Agape Lodge was founded like, yeah, to promote Thalema. But it was also deliberately to extract cash from Californians. One okay. of them dues. Like, but here's the thing. Crowley wasn't like, Crowley believed what he was selling. Yeah. He absolutely did. Okay. Um, and he wasn't after money to like move out of the fucking, you know, whatever boarding house he was in or whatever, or fucking get rich or mm-hmm. buy a new car or anything. There was a specific goal that he wanted the money for. That was publishing the Thoth Tarot deck, which he considered uh, his his life's work. His life's work. Yeah, he thought it was the most important thing he would ever. Well, we do. used it today, so it never got published. Oh, until after he died. Oh shit. Yeah, he never saw it published. He never got enough money for it. Oh. Yeah. So he wasn't rolling in the dough, and he wasn't like he was shooting heroin. That's expensive. So it was yeah, ice- he had no bloody nothing. He had no bloody nothing. Not even any tobacco. So like. Yeah, I don't want to give the sense that he uh he was doing this just to like just to steal prey on from people. people. He was trying to expand his yeah, his business essentially. Mhm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, hey. You got to make a living. You got to make a goddamn living. So yeah, so that's the climate that Jack and Helen come into. Right. Wilfred Smith, I mean, Crowley fucking hated California. He hated America in, in general, but he fucking hated L.A. and California. Yeah. So he never visited Agape Lodge. Like, he's never personally... And the Agape Lodge is where Jack and Helen are going. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and so it's just Wilfred Smith mm-hmm. kind of running this thing. And, like, not oh, Willie. really doing a great job getting money for Crowley. Yeah. Crowley kind of regrets putting Wilfred in charge from the very beginning. Mm. But he can't really do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I can't He's not going back. over there. He can't, like... It's, he's just kind of got to deal with it. Uh-huh. Right? So Jack Parsons had already learned about Crowley. He found a book in his friend uh, Robert Rapinski's house that Rapinski didn't really know, but it was, I forget which Crowley book it was, but it was a book of Crowley's and he fucking loved it. And he started like buying more Crowley books, like way before any of this, but he, you know, they weren't, as we said in the last episode, like Jack and Helen tried to like astral project and all this shit. Like it wasn't like this is the first time they were ever hearing about magic. Yeah. Or any of that shit. I mean, yeah, it's not like this. This probably felt to them like a logical next step. Mm Mm-hmm. Like something to take well, them further into their already established interests. Sort of. 
Uh, it took them two full years to become fully initiated OTO members. Mm-hmm. One, because Helen wasn't, she wasn't sure, which is funny in retrospect. Yeah. Um, and Jack was a little fucking weirded out by Wilford. He was a little repulsed uh. by him, but then when they end up becoming, there's, it's an interesting relationship there. Uh, eventually, he's, you know, yeah, they I become good friends. That. It's a very interesting, and we'll get deep into that. Um, but also, Jack was busy as fuck. Mm-hmm. But Jack's interest in the OTO was immediate, or at least his interest in Thalema. You know, Thalema and its talk of the Aeon of Horus and all this, you know, mythic, mythic shit that doesn't mean anything to anybody that doesn't didn't read the fucking thing. Um, yeah. And the spectacle of all the rituals and shit. A lot of Thalema is very much inverted Catholicism mm-hmm. in a lot of ways with that same type of spectacle and, and blasphemy. That was kind of Crowley's thing. I mean, you know, it's the Gnostic mass. Right. Yeah. And uh uh, it all kind of appealed to Jack's sense of romance and, and wonder, like yes. much more than communism, which Frank Molina was getting into, and even more than science fiction. Well, what it it kind of offers you the opportunity to be a part of like the coming of a new dawn. Like, oh yeah, you get to be involved in like this really cool kind of underground thing. Yeah, and like. You know, if you what you're doing is you're bringing about a new aeon. Yeah. And like, as we're going to see, like and he is and he, is. he did he fucking did in a few ways, in quite a few ways. Yeah. Um, as we're going to see, like, I'm going to make fun of these people mercilessly because like groups of people and like communes and shit are so fucking goofy. There's to me. no way for it not to be silly. There's it's no way for magic goofy. not to be silly. Really. Yes, exactly. Especially ritual magic. Yes. It's, it's just inherently silly and kind of lame i don't know about that well it is inherently lame but it's fun i mean i do it yeah so like i could i could say that i'll fucking wave i'll put on my robe and wizard hat and fucking wave a wand around fuck you (laughs) fun as hell it's fun (laughs) and another thing is when people think alistair crowley and they think black magic right Mm -hmm. sorcery conjuring demons and the devil and that couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to alistair crowley yeah like he did change his definition or his explanation of this a few times because that's just what he did with everything. But at this point in his life, he was very solidly in the camp of this is all in your head. This is all psychological. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's spiritual for sure. Like there is, you know, truth. Uh, yeah, it, it is a it's not an atheistic thing. It's, you know, it's a fucking religion. Some- but the magic, the practice of magic, and he's the one who started doing it with a CK, uh-huh. that's a practice. And it's to change things and observe things inside your own consciousness and all from the service of enacting a concept of your true will. Yes. Which is not a job. It's not a career. It's not a hobby. It, it, true will is hard. It's your reason for being here. Right. Not the thing you do while you're here, but the reason you're here. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the place you fill that nothing else can fill, your true will, right? And all of the ritual, all of the yoga, the breathing, all that shit is all in service of getting you in touch with your true will, mm-hmm. right? That's not conjuring the devil. Do you know what I mean? No. That's not throwing fireballs. That's not like... No, I think that's yeah. actually really beautiful. It is. It absolutely because is. Because a, a lot of people are not in touch with that. Yeah, I think I mean, a lot of people unconsciously do stuff because they think they should or because they think that's what's expected of them. So to have a practice that allows you to get in touch with, well, what what is your will? Yes. What is your purpose here? Um, And like I could talk about this shit forever. Like I do have problems with this, but like the 
I mean, the, the law of the lame, like do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will mm-hmm. is, is that's the, that's the whole thing. And now I'm mistrustful of hedonism. So like, I don't think that it's necessarily the right way to go to just in, indulge every passing desire. Right. And I don't right? think that's what it's saying either. It's not. Yeah. And that's we will the see, trap of it. we will see how people fuck that up yeah, and that's how exactly angry the trap. It, it makes Crowley uh, in a little bit. Uh-huh. So a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important because people think, oh, he's doing yeah. black magic, all this stuff. Like, no, it's. Well, it helps to understand what, why he was drawn to this. Yeah. And also quantum physics was a very new thing. And Jack thought that Crowley's shit lined up with like quantum principles that they were discovering mm-hmm. so this is like some of the first quantum woo-woo or whatever quantum spirituality like multiverses and fucking probability clouds and shit right, right. and um, how ancient uh events and myths affect the present day yeah that's like super i don't know it's like comic bookish even very much so but now all that said uh jack wanted to learn sorcery he wanted to conjure the devil <laughs> yeah jack after, after all of that after all we just said no and was he I, you know he ends up starting to formulate his own system that is more he calls it the witchcraft is jack's system not a very original name jack. it was then it was not it was not bad then yeah there's there's a reason he used that name witchcraft the witchcraft yeah the witchcraft yeah I, it's not the name i would choose is it at least like, is that a, a clever play on words like which W-H-I-C-H? No, it's or? not. I think it's a deliberate dig at a dead Crowley, honestly, oh. because of a thing he said in a letter to Jack okay. once. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I think like more than interested in the OTO, Jack was interested in Thalema. And I also think that more than interested in Thalema, Jack was interested in like magic with a C, right? Because magic with a CK, if we use that definition of magic um, or that spelling of magic, This is kind of how I explain it to people who don't fucking care about it to, to, yeah, no, we're not talking about casting fireballs. It's like the question, is magic real? Is the same exact question as is jujitsu real, right? It's a practice. It's a real practice. Yeah. That involves ritual and practicing a certain exercise and stuff. What you're actually asking is, is it effective? Or what you're actually asking is, is the supernatural real? And in the context of Aleister Crowley, it does the supernatural doesn't really enter into Crowley's definition of magic at this time. Yeah. But that's the shit Jack wants to learn is right. the supernatural stuff. Yeah. Okay. Good background. Right. So Jack's getting involved in that at the same time he's fucking busy and his insane workload was delaying the process of him actually him and Helen actually deciding to get initiated. Gausset project number one, as they were now called, was playing in the big leagues. But even though they were angling for government funds and had a fancy name, it was still the same old Suicide Squad. Jack and Ed were now getting paid $200 a month to build rockets at Caltech, which was like twice as much as they were making at the powder company. Not a bad deal. It's not bad. Yeah, so they were making quite a bit more. And like now it's like official and all this shit. They still weren't welcomed by the Caltech establishment. I Like, are they ever going to be? No. Yeah. No. I mean, Literally yeah. never. Yeah. Probably because everyone there has a fucking stick up their ass yeah superiority because Mm -hmm. it's like well you know i'm i actually have a degree you know i'm taking classes here what why are you here i'm sorry who are you yeah yeah no for real it only gets worse and worse Mm -hmm. even as their accomplishments stack up more and more right um and like in fact uh gene foreman uh ed's third wife uh 
Damn, Ed with the wives. Yeah. <laughs> Ed's a good good guy, but kind of unstable. I don't know. He, uh-huh. he gets married a lot. He uh Ed yeah. with the wives. But All right. Gene uh, you know, describes like how how they thought that Caltech saw them. End quote. Here are these dumb people who are getting honors from the military. How dare they when they hadn't gone to university? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um well, but like also Jack and Ed were still like <sighs> They still just wanted to launch rockets. Right. They didn't care about the science. They really did not. They wanted to make better and better rockets. They just wanted to fucking yeet them into the desert. That's just what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Frank Molina said once, sometimes they are like inventors in the worst sense of the word, which I think is probably, I think I'm not smart enough to feel how bad of a burn that is to come from a scientist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that, that's I'd be like burn. At least I'm an inventor. At least I made something. But I yeah. think that's, that's a, yeah. You made something that that blew up. Yeah, not in the way that you wanted it to. No, no. So you can't just like celebrate once you get a government contract and shit. Now you have to actually deliver on it. Mm-hmm. You have to deliver on what the fuck you're you're saying you can do, which was a solid fuel rocket yeah. that could deliver constant powerful thrust for at least ten seconds to give a sustained lift to heavy bombers. You know, in the rapidly approaching World War II. So Jack was working tirelessly to cook up a solid rocket fuel that could do just that. For it to work, the mixture had to coat the insides of the rocket evenly without cracking and burn steady. So it had to be perfectly the same amount all the way through, perfectly homogenous, no cracks. Because if there's a crack in that, you know, cylinder of rocket fuel, what that means is that oxygen is going to get up through the engine and it's all going to burn all at once and Mm -hmm. blow the fuck up. Right. Not what they're trying to do. Not what they're trying to do. And they weren't sure it was even possible. They were having so many failures mm-hmm. that uh, Jack was taking, he started taking like inspiration from ideas put forth in science fiction novels. Yeah, why not? Just yeah, go just crazy like, with oh, it. This dude had this idea. Let me see if that'll work. But uh, nothing seemed to be working. <laughs> so Frank Molino wrote to his parents uh, when they were working on building a thing. He, he says... Uh, the new apparatus being designed has changed from day to day, and the machinist is getting dizzy from instructions and counter instructions. And like explosions at Caltech were now just an everyday thing. Yeah. Here, and uh, he I wouldn't feel safe going to school there. No. Because, like, yeah, Jack and Ed are cool as fuck. Yeah. But like, they're crazy. Right. <laughs> they're fucking nuts. Yeah. And they're not the safest people in the world. I'm so okay. When I was a kid, once I was inside of the car and the car um, combust into flames like it was on fire. Yeah. And since then, I've always had this fear of things exploding. (laughs) (laughs) Like, especially in the car. I'm very paranoid about things in the car exploding. I mean, I I understand that, actually. It would be my nightmare to, like, be around this, to be anywhere near this, because now it's it's a real risk, you know? Mm -hmm. If I'm realistic, it's really not that big of a risk in my daily life. No. If I went to Caltech. Dude. Yeah. And then you hear that the dude's doing that shit. Mm-hmm. One of them dropped out of high school. One of them summoned the devil when he was eight. <laughs> no, yeah. Think. Also, Jack looks like fucking Jack. He's got the goddamn mustache and uh-huh. beard. He's hung over a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and now they're just trying out ideas from science fiction novels. Like, oh, I feel so safe. Yeah. Fucking Melina continued in the letter to his parents said, we upset the whole campus. 
but people will get used to it. I hope. <laughs> um, and he was starting to get a little fucking frustrated with Jack and Ed. Yeah. Yeah. One day, Melina. Well, he's kind of bringing their. They're kind of bringing his reputation down a little bit, right? I mean, I don't. I don't think so because, like, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be part of the first government sanctioned rocket program. Right. I mean, he's already a part of their crew. So yeah, he's, he kind of soaks up whatever reputation. And so is Von Karman too. Yeah. Like Von Karman's the head of Galsit. Right. And he's vouching for these guys completely. Right. Okay. So why is he, why is he annoyed with them? Because they're Jack and Ed. He's, (laughs) (laughs) he heard a huge explosion. uh, One, one morning emanating from the, uh, from the Institute. He says, at first I thought it was our apparatus again. I looked at my watch and saw it was 8.30 a.m., which I was, sure, I was sure was far too early for Parsons and Foreman to be at work. I was correct. It wasn't. So he, he's already fucking there. He's already doing shit. I met yeah. people woke up earlier at the time, too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 8.30, that's not an unreasonable time for people to be at work. No. I'm not good at it. But Parsons and Foreman, they, they're not waking up <laughs> no. fucking so, early. No fucking way. So Frank Belita, he hears this huge fucking explosion. He thinks it's... He's like, oh, shit, Jack and Ed blew up our machine again. He looks at his watch, sees it's 830 in the morning, goes, nope, not them. Yeah. <laughs> and he was fucking right. It was uh, some of the fuel that had been, been... stored improperly. Yes. Yes. Wow. Because uh, <laughs> also Theodore Front Von Carmen also broke everything he touched, too. He was always breaking machines and gasset and stuff. Like, it was just fucking wrecked. Yeah. Give him the position of the... Put him at the head. Yeah. The department. Well, he was fucking brilliant. Yeah. These guys are all fucking brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ed doesn't get enough credit for being, he built the fucking rocket. Yeah. Like the actual. They're all brilliant. They're all fucking goddamn brilliant. In the, in the spring of 1940, Theodore von Karman uh, saw that they just like weren't getting getting anywhere. And they like had, uh, they had a due date by August to get something working. Um, So he decided he needed to help the boys out. So he stays up one night and also. The explosions needed to stop. <laughs> Enough. Like, we can't so do this anymore. He drafts a set of, uh, like, because they really don't know if the solid rocket fuel Jado is possible. They have no idea. Yeah. And right now they're thinking it's not because they're blowing shit up all the time. So Von Karman drafts this, like, a set of differential equations and he gives it to Frank Molina and he says, look, try and solve these. If you can solve these equations, these are the things you need to figure out. If you can solve these equations, it's possible. If you can't solve these equations, it's impossible. Like, and, you know, I don't know if, like, I don't know how that would work. I, I don't know, Matt. I have no fucking idea. I also wonder if it's, like, if he was just, like, you know, maybe, maybe it would be possible. It if these was equations just a test. Out, but, like, I need this to end one way or another. And if these yeah. work, then, yeah. But Molina fucking did his math fucking wizardry and the equations proved it was, in fact, possible. And then it was up to Jack to find the right recipe. And now that Jack knew that it could be done, he was- You infused. solved the puzzles. Well, he, he now he knew that the puzzle could be solved. Yeah. And so he just like fucking went into overdrive and he got a renewed sense of fucking figure. And like, and this he is- he wrote Cal- a poem. He did. Yeah. Uh, he, he scrawled a poem on a piece of Caltech stationery at the time. And it's just kind of cute. Wow. Um, can I read it? You can. Yeah. The path is hard and the night is long and the way is bleak and weary. But my heart is high as we trudge along, though the road is long and dreary. I mean, you got to imagine. Lovely. You know, the the path is hard and long. Yeah. But you just, you know, well, like, keep your hopes up. 
he's also working like 16 hours a day. Like he might not be showing up at 8.30, but he's there all the time. Yeah. You know, and you got to imagine him scrawling that like shirtless, covered in sweat and like covered in toxic chemicals and shit, trying to do an impossible thing in mm-hmm. California fucking springtime. And he's doing it. Like they're, they're fucking doing it. And so Jack and Ed, they worked like bastards to find the right combination of powder, loading technique, and rocket design. But Caltech had already had enough. And so they banished the boys back to the Arroyo Seco to a piece of property. The yeah, Institute you're off the campus. See ya. They bought a piece of the Arroyo just to exile these guys over there. They'll Not take a bad it. investment. That's where they love to be. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, they don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So they like built shacks and stuff, just these rickety wooden shacks. And the boys went out to the Arroyo hundreds of times over the next few months. And after Parsons stumbled upon a highly toxic and corrosive chemical called red fuming nitric acid, which like stained his clothes and his hands, this like awful yellow. Ew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, it was the trick. They, they achieved enough thrust and succeeded in building the rocket, which would become the solid fuel Jado. Uh, they got their funding and the first real tests were scheduled for that summer. You know, that's what they needed all along was just enough thrust. Take note, boys <laughs> <laughs> and ladies. Put some red nitric fuming acid on your. Yeah. Have a good thrust. Time. It's the key yeah. element. Hey, oh, yellow dick. Yeah, this is what happened to the Simpsons. They were covered in red fuming nitric acid. Oh my <laughs> god! Doesn't I mean Homer works in a power plant? Who knows what they have in there? That's why Plutonium. they're yellow. Yeah. Uh, so, even though Jack was working like mad, his interest in Thalema was not diminished. Like he hadn't been initiated, but he was still, he wasn't a full member, but he was still hanging out regularly at the OTO house on Winona Boulevard in LA. Mm-hmm. And like, he tried to get his buddies involved in the OTO too. Uh, you're like, mm. remember it, how you weren't into communism? Yeah, Jack. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this, no, because not our it, thing. Especially Frank Molina, because him and Jack, they had the same fucking birthday. They liked the same music. They love talking about the same ideas, Right. You know, it, he saw a kindred mind, but Frank wasn't into it at all. He's mm. distrustful of mystics in general. You can't force anyone to be into like no. magic shit. No, you, you can't. can't. They either have to be into it or they're not. There's no talking anyone no. into it. Yeah, exactly. I, absolutely. Frank's drug of choice was communism, which is much the same. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not into it, you're not into it. I'm I'm a, I'm a magic guy mm-hmm. uh, on that on that dichotomy. Very much so. <laughs> Some people are both. I'm not sure you can be. <laughs> Are you sure? Shoot. <laughs> you definitely can't be a Thelemite and be a communist. Yeah. I don't I don't think. Oh, people will fight me for that, but I'm going to stand by that statement. I'm going to fucking get an email. We're going to get an email from the Please don't email us. Yeah, not not about this. Not about this. I don't fucking care. <laughs> so, I'm looking at nitric acid burns on skin. Uh, nitric acid might be a different thing than the, red nitric fuming acid. Yeah, I looked up nitric fuming fuming acid, and it's there's another like little name. yellow, like oh, yellow. Yeah. Oh no, that's about it. Yeah, that's yeah. about right. But like, Jack did try when when Frank was out of town. He invited Frank's wife to a Gnostic mass. Okay, she Frank's was, wife. She was like eighteen, and she was just like Christ, Frank. Well, he's only like. Oh, that's, I forgot they were all so young. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's fucking, you know, I don't even, I don't know if she was eight. She was at least 18, but she, yeah. was, she was fucking young and it was fucking 1939. Right? Right. Um, Did she know what she was getting into? Yeah, no, she had a very measured, I don't have the quote here, but she, she was basically just like, yeah, there was uh they're all in like togas 
and they were like they were doing some they're doing some weird stuff there was a, there was a woman who's doing some very strange dancing and they're holding up this egyptian bullshit and uh yeah it was uh quite a time i told frank about it and he was like yeah jack's always been a bit crazy yeah yeah <laughs> but she wasn't into it no they were just they frank and her kind of just laughed about jesus right okay and they never went back you know they weren't like scared of it they weren't angry about it nothing weird happened right right they're just like jesus Christ. i didn't know if frank was the type of husband to be like what you went and no. did that and i didn't no not at okay all. cool no no good yeah not at all and you know jack was also living a third complete life <laughs> by uh spending time lecturing at the la science fiction society and it was there that he uh introduced the young writer grady mcmurtry to the works of alistair crowley and McMurtry would later be instrumental in the survival of the OTO to this day. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, there's there's a split in Thalema there. But the the fraternal order that still exists to this day that like, you can join and shit mm-hmm. um, is Well, I can't. Of, yeah, you can. Oh, I can? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not uh, male only. Oh, okay. By any stretch of it, absolutely not. Cool. Yeah. See, the word fraternal, it's confusing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that just means like the style of organization it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because originally these types of society, they they were all It was originally closed. a Masonic society. Yeah. Which is closed. Closed to women, yeah. But the OTO, now, Thalema is very Mason. egalitarian. No, we're horny. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely. need to get some bitches in here. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, like, it's, it's, it's fucking... It's yeah. very egalitarian. I'd like, mm-hmm. yeah. And Grady McMurtry was just this like young poet and science fiction fan and, you know, ended up getting drafted into the army and shit, but they became fast friends. And around the same time, Jack and Grady, Helen's 17 year old sister, Betty moved in with uh, Jack and Helen. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun dynamic. <laughs> uh, you know, Jack, Helen, Betty and McMurtry would go on long walks talking about poetry and rockets and witchcraft and shit. That is fun. And, you know, Jack and Betty got along very, very well. No. Too well, you might say. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of hot. Well, no, it's not. If she was 18, it would be hot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, she is, uh, Betty's a, hmm, she's a force of nature, as we shall soon yeah. see. But on February 15th, 1941, Jack and Helen were officially initiated into the OTO, uh, two years after they started going to the Gnostic Masses. Jack took as his magical motto, Thalema, 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 Obtentum Procedero Amoris Nupitae, which is really, really bad Latin. Um, Like he did not know how to translate things into Latin. What he was going for is the establishment of Thalema by the rituals of love. And it does not Dude. mean that in beautiful. Yeah, beautiful Jack. Great. What does it actually mean? Do we know? It's probably fucking, some it's monstrous garbled. Garb- no, yeah. it's it's a, just a garbled version of that. Sentence. It's real words, but they're just not in the right order. Not mm-hmm. yeah. I took four years of Latin, and I can't help you Dude, out. So. so later on, when Jack and Jack and Crowley were um, written like writing letters to each other and shit, fucking Crowley wrote in his letter about uh, about that motto he wrote. The motto which you mention is couched in a language beyond my powers of understanding. (laughs) 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 It's just, it's it's fucking funny, man. I love eloquent Burns. I know. Uh, Carly's fucking great at him. 
and the initials of the motto spelled out, you know, T-O-P-A-N, Topan, Topan. which also, also serves Topan. as the Topan. declaration Tupan, right? And Jack's favorite poem was Crowley's Hymn to Pan. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, so Jack took the name Freighter Topan or Brother Tupan, right? Kind of clever. Yeah. Yeah. And in Gematria, it turns into the number 210, which is the number he used to sign his OTO letters. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, he thought about it, didn't translate it correctly, but no, but goddamn it, he He did the thing. Yeah. And by this time, Helen was also all in on Thalema. She was fucking all in. She uh, would later write, when, quote, we met something that was right. Cool. Uh, She took the name Soror Grimaud, Soror meaning sister. Yes. Grimaud, I have no fucking clue. No idea. Couldn't find anything about what Grimaud might mean. It means something. And so, like, remember how I said that the Agape Lodge was established to get money from rich Californians? Yeah. That's what they thought Jack was. Oh, you got <laughs> wrong. That's that, Yeah. Because he carried himself like that. Always dressed up and shit, mm-hmm. right? And it's not like they weren't like, oh, this is our mark. But they're also like, this might be the guy. Yeah. To really ener- like re-energize this place. Well, it's always useful when, you know... Your group has a member that can has a, a member of means, if yeah. you will. And even though he didn't have money, Jack was part of the only officially recognized rocket research group. He has connections. He's a fucking impressive human being. Yeah. Especially to a bunch of goddamn gas station wizards. Right. Right. <laughs> like, that's a good get. It is. Um, Lends you some credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Wilfred Smith wrote to Crowley upon Jack's initiation. He wrote, a really excellent man. He has an excellent mind, an excellent mind and much better intellect than myself. JP is going to be very valuable. Mm-hmm. OTO OG Jane Wolfe wrote to uh, Crowley's like right-hand man and debt collector, Carl Germer, <laughs> that Parsons was, and quote, an A1 man, Crowley-esque in attainment as a matter of fact. Crowley-esque. Yeah, and mooted Parsons as a potential successor to Crowley as outer head of the order, as the outer Mm. head of of the OTO. And Crowley agreed with such assessments. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Informing uh, Wilfred Smith that Parsons was, and quote, the most valued member of the whole order with no exception. This wasn't like the first week he was in, right? Like that's over the course of a, a period of time. But yeah, like Crowley was like, okay, this is the guy. This is the guy who's probably going to succeed me when I die, and I'm going out soon. Interesting. What's super fucking interesting, it wasn't Jack. It was Grady McMurtry, the dude, the writer dude that- Yeah. Because Grady McMurtry got drafted, stormed the fucking beaches of Normandy, and then got stationed in England, where he ended up meeting Crowley. Oh. Becoming good friends with him, studying under him personally while he was stationed in England. Uh, They- Crowley taught him things he never taught anyone else. Honestly, probably a better man for the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, Grady McMurtry believed in Thalema and uh, Crowley gave him like this letter giving him emergency powers to totally seize control over the OTO and reform it should he need to at some point in the future. Cool. And, and then like Grady McMurtry, after Crowley died, he ended up doing that. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that at the very, very end. Hmm. He ends up in a turban. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Fucking sick. Yeah. So Jack was crucial to the survival of 
the OTO do by the way of introducing Grady McMurtry to it. And yes. Like, yeah. Yes. And at this point, he's declared a very a VIP. Yeah. And after his initiation, he wanted to devote more and more time to the OTO because he apparently can live fucking four lives all at once. And like he. Yeah, right. The sci fi life. Yeah. OTO life. The rocket life. Rocket life. He's inventing rockets. Yeah. That's two lives right there. He's doing Just a lot. the rockets. And he has a wife. And he has a fucking wife. It's insane. And he has a wife's sister. He sure does. He sure does. <laughs> sure does. But Jack like started giving talks on Thalema at his house. Because remember, he's having like parties at his house and shit too. He has a mm-hmm. full social life also. It's because they didn't have the internet. No scrolling, no doom scrolling. They're just having fun and building rockets. Yeah. Isn't that a life lesson? Isn't it? So much more time. For- so much more time for activities. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and like he got Betty, uh, he got Betty to fucking join the OTO2 and like, you know, he got Grady McMurtry in there and he was giving talks on Thalame at his house to all his fucking bohemian friends. And at this point too, Jack's like reluctance regarding Wilfred Smith had disappeared and the two were extremely close. Ah. Smith was like 10 years older than Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jack was starting to see the OTO members as more than friends or guides, but fucking family. Like he wrote to Wilfred Smith once, uh, which is weird that they're writing to each other and they're all close, but it's fun, I guess. Yeah. But he wrote, um, and quote, you know, I was an only and lonely child and it's a fine thing to inherit such a large and splendid family. I never knew a father. It's nice to have one now. That's very sweet. Yeah. But also Jack's got daddy issues. He does. Yeah. Uh, and he was also seeing less and less of his rocket friends and mostly stopped going to the social functions at Theodore von Karman's house. Well, you know, the allure of the deep is is quite Yeah. It's quite strong. Yeah, it's but it's funny that like Theodore von Karman took the like he replaced Theodore von Karman with Wilfred Smith a bit and like replaced the Caltech rocketry folks with the OTO probably because the scientists like the establishment never It's more uh, of an accepting social circle. Yeah. They were like well, they're, they said, they're impressed by him rather than you're the golden down child. on him. Yeah. Right. Like they're like, oh, my God, dude, you're the fucking man. You build right. rockets and shit. That's so fucking cool. Wow. You're so interested in this. You're so interesting. Fuck. Yeah. Right. I, I understand it. He's honestly. in a very different role. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Has a lot more respect. And so like he wasn't going to Von Karman's house and like this got brought up by maybe one of the snootier fuckers. And Von Karman simply said, oh, Jack. He's just a little crazy. Don't pay any attention to him. And like that line really makes me like Theodore von Karman. Yeah. He's just like, ah, he's like, don't you think it's strange that Jack's hanging out with those weirdos? And von Karman's just like, that's just Jack. He's just a little yeah. crazy. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Why do yeah. you care? Yeah, like, whatever. Don't pay attention to that. That's fine. And yeah, the, the work continued. Uh, building fucking Jados and shit. He's still balancing it all. He's still balancing it all. Or trying to. He does for quite a while. Yeah. Um, to blow off steam and unwind while they were, because there was a lot of steam to blow off. The Rocketeers would go hunt on hunting expeditions in, into the Arroyo Seco. Hunting and like, for what? Jackrabbits and shit. Ah. I mean, they're taking pot shots at animals, uh-huh. you know. Um, it was on these hunting expeditions that Jack and Ed displayed even more of their complete and total disregard for safety. They would mock duel each other with mm. guns. Mm. The object was to shoot the ground as close to the other person as possible without hitting them. This is dangerous. Yes, it is. The game usually ended when dirt flew up inches from the other man's foot. It's dangerous. At this time, it should be pointed out, these men had security clearances. (laughs) Like, you know, they're a little crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. Little reckless, I would say. But yeah. honestly, you have to be that amount of reckless to even be doing this. So yeah, it's kind of just the the gamble that you. Yeah. 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 It's the type of person you fucking need to be. So in August of 1941, the Jado tests commenced, like the real fucking tests, right? The pilot, Homer Bushy, showed up at the Arroyo, at the Arroyo Psycho test site a week before to scope it out. And he found a pretty unsettling scene. So, this, you know, this was where he, Homer Bushy, was supposed to get into a plane with fucking rockets strapped to the underside of the wings. And the boys, the suicide squad there, the boys were uh, ambling around the desert with bags under their fucking eyes in various states of undress. Uh, Martin Summerfield had taken up a living in one of the shacks there, and he just had like a clothesline with all his underwear out there. And like, they're like 26 too. Doesn't right? inspire confidence. Like you're Ooh. about to get into the plane he's, and you're trusting these guys with- This yeah. is the week before. This is the week before he's supposed to get into the plane, right? Right, but still. Yeah. Like he's scoping it out and right. this is what he finds. While he's there, they do a preliminary, you know, they do one of the tests that they're doing every day on on the Jados, right? Uh, like a static test, you know, it's held in place and you fucking light it up and see if it burns steady. <sighs> it just fucking blew up. Flames and shrapnel flying everywhere. <laughs> mm. And uh, tests were went ahead as planned. Yeah, it doesn't inspire confidence, no. but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Writing to his parents at the time, Molina summed up the thoughts of all the rocketeers. He said, uh, the phase of research that was supposed to be solved has been cutting up. At the end of today, I felt that nothing short of a miracle would pull through by the date we are supposed to meet. All right. The cause of the prior week's explosion hadn't been solved. This is a week later. Now it's the day of the tests. They have not figured out the cause of last week's explosion. So let's do it anyway. So let's fucking do it anyway. They, they just went for it. Yeah, let's um, go for it, baby. So along with the already assembled Jados, a whole fresh batch that was assembled overnight was brought in as well. Right. So first they tested the plane. It's a small little, you know, one pilot plane uh, called an air coupe. They tested it without any attached rockets to measure its baseline baseline performance. Right. Okay. Baseline test. Yeah. Just to see how much thrust does this thing have on its own? Like, yep. you know, and now, and then with the air coupe anchored to the ground, they strapped some Jados under its wings to perform a static test to make sure the flames would clear the plane and not roast Homer Bushy alive. They fired perfectly. Perfectly. Uh, Excellent. The safety mechanisms they had invented, you know, held the flames were right under. Nothing was in any danger of being overheated. Fucking perfect. Cool. Then the time came. It was the 18th test of the day. The temperature was rising. The heat was rising. Now it's like starting to get like early afternoon in the middle of the fucking desert. Yeah, the yeah. sun is hot. August. Yeah. High noon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they had to try these suckers out for real, right? In flight. So it wasn't the launch yet. Homer's going to take this thing up into the sky, just launching it regularly, and then just see what happens when you launch, when you, you know, fire rockets on a plane that's already in the sky. Does it get unstable? That's terrifying. Test pilots are the most hard-boiled motherfuckers on the planet. That's they are really crazy. fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. And this dude already saw one of the rockets blow up. Yeah. He already saw them ambling around fucking. Yeah, dude, it's test pilots are fucking hardcore. That's so scary. Yeah. Homer Bushy. <laughs> yeah. My man. What? He's a real one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he's still there even after seeing a rocket blow up. He's fucking there for it. Okay, so... So, they strapped a Jado under each of the air coupe's wings. Just one this time. They would go with more later on. And Homer Bushy was to take that piece of shit a couple thousand fucking feet into the sky and let it rip. This is some Looney Tunes shit. 
This is so waskawi wabbit. You've got a perfectly good plane flying around, not crashing, which is a miracle in and of itself. And then you're going to flip a switch and essentially a couple bombs put together by these maniacs are going to explode under your wings, hopefully only in one direction. And then you hope that you can keep control of that bastard. Homer Bushy. Unsung hero. Yeah. Yeah. So Bushy flew the plane up to 3,000 feet, high enough that he became totally invisible against the sheer blue of the California sky. And then all of a sudden, two white streaks appeared in the sky, and they had no doubt where he was. The first time jet contrails had ever been seen. Yes. And then one of the contrails disappeared. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. And then the other one started fading as well, and the ground crew assumed they just killed Homer. But no, eventually, the air coop was spotted coming in low to land from the opposite direction. And it was immediately clear what had happened. One of the rockets fucking blew up. Yeah. And like they always do. They're literally always blowing up at this point. And but the safety harness had worked. It fell clear of the air coop and harmlessly into the desert. And Bushy was a really skilled pilot. How do you think he felt at that moment? Jesus Christ. He seemed pretty unfazed by that one. Unflappable Bushy. It was the next one that got him. Ah. So working on a strict timetable, they were already they were back at the test site the next day for another round of uh, static grounded tests, holding the plane in place and firing the rockets to see what kind of fucking force they could get off of it. Right? Okay. Um, this time, Homer Bushy got into the pilot seat. It's stuck in place, and he engaged the Jados. One immediately exploded and just fucking almost ripped clean off one of the wings of the air coop. Good thing it's a ground test. Yeah. That one scared Homer, though. That one. Yeah, well, if that yeah. had been in the air. He'd be fucked. He would have died. He'd be dead. Yeah. Because it, like, ripped the wing half off. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now Jack had to figure out what the fuck was happening. Because also, that's his job. That's what he, that's what, if they're blowing up, it's because of. Right. Yeah, right. And if they're blowing up, you could, you could kill people, Jack. They signed up for that. Yeah. I mean, that is expected. That's why right. these tests are going along, even and though there is... And that's why this is such a crazy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Is and because, and effectively, by them even creating this technology, they do assist in the, the killing of people. And they they were well aware of that, too. They did not want to make shit for the military. Yeah. They were all fucking... It's just that's us. the only way that they could get funding, and that's the way to get, you know, and once Hitler, figure this out. Once Hitler showed himself as Hitler, mm-hmm. they were kind of like... All right, I don't care about this war. Right. Cool, let's fucking get them. Well, it's like, you know, a lot of technology is a double-sided coin. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. Yeah. You know? And I mean, they already knew that Germany was invented rockets because uh-huh. they were fucking pen pals with Werner von Braun. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So I absolutely don't fault them, you know, for exploring this really, really yeah. dangerous shit. Because how, how are we to make progress and find out new stuff without it? Absolutely. But at the same time, people going to die like it would to me being in that role, you know, Uh that that would be a lot Mm -hmm. to shoulder. And Jack felt that burden. I don't want to make it sound like he was callous or a a fuck up. He was just a bit crazy, but he felt that responsibility and he was working like fucking 16 hours a day. Right. And that's why I think they all put so much time and care and effort into Mm -hmm. this is because they realized the magnitude of what they were doing and the seriousness of it as well. That's why they were out there performing so many tests. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, unfortunately, a risk that you can't avoid is injury, really bad injury. Yeah. So Jack had a week to figure this out before the next one's next test started. Oh, shit. And he did. He 
Notice that none of the freshly made Jados were exploding. Only the ones that had sat for more than 24 hours. Mm, okay. Desert temperatures. Nighttime and daytime are wildly different. Yeah. The fuel was expanding and contracting in the different temperatures and cracking. Right. So if they were made fresh. Desert get cold at night. Yes, it does. If they were made fresh, they weren't exposed to that temperature fluctuation. Yeah. Now, that's not, they're going to need to solve that (laughs) for real before mass production. But they can, they know how to game the system for the test in a week. Mm. Yeah. So the day before the test was resumed, Jack and Ed figured out they needed to load each rocket manually with a special goop. uh, Mm -hmm. One inch at a time. In the rockets, they needed eight. <laughs> That's hilarious. Special goop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yep. Special goop one inch at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. With a hydraulic press. <laughs> 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 um, they needed 18 Jados. They needed to make in one overnight session, so not exposed to the, to the wrong temperatures, 18 Jados. And doing it this way, each one took 45 minutes to load. Okay, uh, quick math. It's about 14 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So from 14 hours before the tests are scheduled to start, Jack and Ed are just loading fucking rockets all night. Wow. Yeah. 14 hours fucking straight. Yeah. And then with the special goop. With the special goop. 14 hours. <laughs> it's a long time it's a long to be packing time. special goop into things. It is. This episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not, though. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll big shots. So, <laughs> you know, time was of the essence, and each minute delay could mean failure for the Suicide Squad and possible death for Homer Bushy. Yeah. Right? So as soon as the air coop was brought in, was towed in, Jack scrambles underneath the plane. Like, as soon as it stops moving, he's underneath it, strapping Jado's to the underside. And, like, I wonder if he's told Homer about this or if he's just fucking crazy on no sleep, just running in, wrapping fucking rockets around the plane and going, we got to go, Homer, right now. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's basically what happened. They just started flying immediately. And Homer Bushy pulled the air coop to the end of the runway. This was the launch test. This was when they were used. It was the jet assisted takeoff, not firing it in the sky, but firing it on the runway to shorten the launch distance. Yeah. Right? This is the big the one. test. This is the test. So Homer Bushy pulls the air coop to the runway, gets her going, fires the Jados. It's perfect. It's exact- it works. Perfect. Oh, my God. It just straight works. Celebration. Uh, We're gonna celebrate and have a good time. Rocket Man. Burning out his fuse out here, alone. Yeah, and there's actually some Super 8 footage of this test that you can watch on YouTube. That's, like, been colorized and shit of all the guys launching this fucking air coop into the sky. You see Jack Parsons walking down the fucking... The runway. They've added very color cool. to it. Yeah, it lots, looks good. Like it's worth it's worth a watch. I fucking blues and brown. I mean, it's like early colorization, but like it's fucking really cool. You can see the air coupe fucking launch for the first time. And it's it's a, <laughs> it so is fun. really cool. Yeah, go watch it. It's it's cool as fuck. And it could have been a 
video of someone blowing up. <laughs> Could have been a fucking snuff film. Yeah, like, but it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. It's a it's a triumph of the human spirit. You Indeed. Know? Yeah. And so in light of this, the National Academy of Sciences increased their funding to $125,000. Woohoo! fucking money in 1941. Oh, yeah. Now, with that level of recognition also comes some fucking problems, especially when you're dealing with the U.S. government pre-wartime, mm. right? At an aerodynamics department party, Frank Molina was, like, talking about the success. He was, you know, yucking it up with, with the fancy Caltech people and shit. And, um, you know, he was, he was enjoying the success of a that had transformed him from a graduate student with a harebrained idea to a serious pioneer in the field, right? And then he he finds himself confronted by Clark Milliken, the uh, um, yeah, the guy who originally rejected yes, them. Yes, yeah. And uh, to quote George Pendle, he says, he writes, with undisguised glee, Milliken informed Molina that he had been told that Molina, Sidney Weizenbaum, and two or three other members of the squad belonged to the Communist Party. Yeah, and what's your what's your point, Milliken? Like, are you gonna out them or what? I think he's getting. I think I think he's smelling the anti-communism in the in yeah the too. Because like, are you being threatening right now or? Right here is an interesting time for America's relationship with communism. Okay. Right, because World War II has started. Mm-hmm. Germany invaded Poland in 1938. Yeah. Right. America is about to is about to enter the war. It's 1941, August of 1941 or so. Right. Mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor is on December 7th. And like, we already know how the things are going to shake out. I mean, you know, the, the government's still, we're not getting in. We're not getting involved. It's, they already knew it was going to happen one way or another. Right. Yeah. Um, when we did enter the war, we'd be fighting on the same side as the Russian. We were at once united and then we became opposed. America never liked communism. Yeah. But right here, it found itself we were on allied the same at side. Least. Yeah. Right before our official allies, but we knew which way the winds were blown. Uh-huh. Right. The enemy of my enemy is my friend right here. So like, yes, you can see like Clark Milliken knowing that there will be a time coming for the communists. That's not going to be cool forever. And it's just like at this fucking dinner party, just like smiling like the Cheshire fucking cat. Yeah, I heard you uh, were going to communist meetings, Frank, as Frank's trying to enjoy his fucking success. And she's fuck you. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of a modern day equivalent to that. And I. Oh, there are. I mean. I mean, in a lot of places, communism still, or in a lot of other places. I heard you went to that JFK rally where you thought he was going to show up. Weren't you in Dallas last weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually, yeah. No, but there's been nothing quite like the Red Scare. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't consider my example equivalent yeah. at all. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was certainly quite a climate I mean, at the th- time. So this is how much they hated fucking communism, even though we were fr- like, we were on the side of the Russians at the time. You know, the feds were looking at Jack and the OTO, too, right? Because, of course, they were. They're, yeah. They're developing fucking secret, never-before-seen military weapons. A whole new way of launching planes. Like, this could change everything. Like, it, these dudes have security clearances. Yeah. Jack's hanging out with these cultists. So they're not... If Jack wasn't hanging out with them, they wouldn't really be looking into the OTO. They'd probably have a dossier on them. Just a little one, but, you know. Yeah, a little one. Do. But, like... But they wouldn't be giving it the attention they're giving it. No, they had to go over the Jack. goddamn fine-tooth comb. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear, because like you can't blame the feds for not understanding Western esotericism, right? Mm-hmm. They hear this dude that's building rockets. He he's in a black magic cult, the Ordo Templi Orientis. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah, they got to see what the hell is going on. Like I understand in the context of what you know, I get it. 
But like, and there was also some trouble too. So like one morning in November 1941, Frank Molina received a call that uh, one of the Galset night watchmen was in jail. So one of the dudes on uh, security detail was in jail. This motherfucker, Paul Seckler, was a resident at the OTO house in Win- on Winona Boulevard. And part it would have been Jack Parsons who hooked him up with the night watchman job at Galset, right? Mm-hmm. So Franklin gets this call that something happened at some seance or something, that's Frank's term, at Jack's house. It was probably a ritual. He just called it a seance. Yeah. And he knew Ed Foreman had been there at Jack's house. And whatever happened freaked out this dude, Paul Seckler, so much that Seckler ran out of the Parsons' house with one of Jack's pistols, found a car on a nearby street with two youngsters making out, forced the pair out of their car at gunpoint, and drove around drove around Hollywood for a few hours to clear his head. <laughs> uh, the cops were waiting for him when he got back. Like, how scared do you have to be to, like, jack someone's car and then drive for hours, like, away? Yeah. He just needed to clear his head. Like, what the fuck did they do? Yeah. What the fuck happened there? You know, the mind is also a powerful agent. They're all smoking a lot of weed. I don't know if they started using mescaline at this point yet. Right? Like, I remember remember one of the first times I ever smoked weed, I was like, I hear footsteps outside. Yeah. There's someone outside on the (sighs) deck. I just know there is. I have to go out and check, but I'm there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's just paranoia, sweetie. Yeah. So, yeah, if, you know, if you're the night watchman and, you know, he's a resident at the OTO house, so he's, what, familiar with this type of stuff or is he just a... I mean, I think he's part of the OTO. Him, okay. Him his, yeah, he is. Him and his wife yeah. Chris, uh, are, are OTO initiates. Okay. Yeah. So he's familiar with this stuff. Oh, yeah. But he right. was like, unhi- he was a bit unhinged. He was a bit okay. of a crazy dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't some black I mean, magic. Like, he was described as having, like, some mental issues and shit. And, like, yeah. This shit would, yeah, it could scare you. For sure. But, like, it could also scare Frank Molina. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand any of this shit. This dude's a Galset night watchman. Yeah. They just got this huge contract from the fucking military. They're doing some fucking seance and shit, which he, in his worldview, is the stupid shit Jack's into, right? Uh-huh. He's well aware of how that could be perceived by other people. Shit, he's catching all this flack for being a fucking communist, right? Yeah. So he knows how the outside world looks on people. He's aware of the images and sh- images that people present. He looks at Jack all disheveled, wearing the same fucking suit for 20 years, who just wants to blow shit up and like, Dude, what are you, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, this is the point where Jack and Frank's f- friendship was never the same after, after this spot. Yeah. But like not in a, they didn't have a falling out. They were just going different ways intellectually. You know what I mean? But they were still rocketeers together. And like, yeah, I don't know that sometimes it gets portrayed as a falling out and shit, but I don't think it's that. Yeah, I mean, why would it be? All right. that happened is like this dude got freaked out after. His, well, it's know. it's more that Frank is getting involved in communism and yeah. in like politics and shit. And yeah, he doesn't. He's worried about being associated with the woo woo. He's stuff, not worried about or, it. That's the thing. He just doesn't understand where Jack is anymore. He, yeah, doesn't he just doesn't get it. Right. He, well, he he does get it in his own way. Mm-hmm. He doesn't buy it. He's distrustful of mystics. Right. And he also is just like, you guys are fucking you fucking idiots. What are you doing getting into trouble like this? We can't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't. Well, I mean, they could because they kept, they got away with it. 
But it's, yeah. it's just like he was a he was trying to be fucking respectable and caring about politics. And he thought like, Jack, why are you fucking have your head in the goddamn clouds? With all this magic right. bullshit. So it was just too much of a real... fundamental difference. I think they just didn't understand each other, even though they kept yeah. trying to. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they just want different paths. But sometimes it's presented as, oh. No, that's a perfect reason to end a friendship. It never ended, too, though. I yeah. just kind of realized, like, ah, we were we weren't having the same intimate brotherly moments, but like we didn't, we weren't mad at each other and we still okay. and worked with each other. They still work together. Yeah, absolutely. They're just not close like they were. Yeah. Yeah. But they're still very much rocketeers together. The United States entered world war two on December 7th, 1941 and the military wanted fucking Jados. Give so us just, those jets. Yes. So the U S army, army air corps ordered a hundred Jados and the group agreed now, not wanting to go uncompensated, which they had all talked about previously, like we should get paid for all this shit, right? All, you know, Foreman, Parsons, Molina and Von Karman were all like, we, we should all get paid for this. I think Martin Summerfield was an official member at this point, too. So Von Karman drew up plans for a corporation and he, Parsons, Molina, Foreman and Martin Summerfield all invested $250 each in the newly born Aerojet Engineering Corporation. They appointed Von Karman's George Pendle uses this term, Falstaffian lawyer Andrew G. Haley as a C as CEO. I had to ask my sister, a legitimate Shakespeare expert, what Falstaffian means. It's a character Falstaff. I think, uh, what did she say? She's fat, drunk, and uh, like with questionable morals Ah. (laughs) and jokey and charming. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that is this guy. Andrew G. Haley. That fat, drunk, mischievous, charming, and morally questionable is what I wrote. So, a good guy. hmm You know? A good guy. The company moved into the first floor of the abandoned Vita juice plant in L.A. And Helen planted flowers outside. It was very nice. Yeah. Helen's planting flowers outside the Vita juice, the abandoned Vita juice building. It's a cool-looking building. That shit's painted on the side. And, uh... Now they're this startup called the Aerojet Engineering Corporation. Again, they're doing all this important fucking secret weapons technology for the military. Um, mm-hmm. But they worked like the Suicide Squad always had, like incredibly disorganized by the seat of their pants. Jack and Ed showing up whenever the fuck they wanted. Yeah. Jack's been he's been wearing the same suit for 20 years. And like they had trouble finding help because like new recruits were getting panic attacks. And like because how fucking ridiculous this shit was. And all the while, Andrew Haley is in Washington, sweet talking his way into business and like wheeling and dealing and sending back these like super long, ultra dramatic telegrams, urging them all to, uh, end quote, drive night and day with indomitable purpose and inspired leadership. So you've got the CEO just like fucking the other side of the country, just sending back these maniac telegrams. Oh, my God. I just like unplugged the machine. Yeah. They took it to calling him Andrew God Haley. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fun. It sounds really fun, honestly. This is a level up for Jack. He's a founder of a fucking company, right? Yeah. Pretty good. Aerojet mouse. Engineering Corporation. Yes. He got a bunch of shares of it and stuff, but all was not right back at home. In June of 1941, Helen had left town for a while. When she returned, she found that Jack and Betty had started sleeping together. Well, color me surprised. Betty was even wearing Helen's clothes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And like Jack and Helen, like most members of the OTO, had a, a completely open relationship. Mm-hmm. This was her fucking sister. Yeah. And she was different. like saying, he's my husband now. And shit. It's fucked up. Like, yeah. he's kind of fucked up. When confronted by Helen, Jack said bluntly, as was encouraged in the OTO, and quote, I prefer Betty sexually. 
This is a fact I can do nothing about. I am better suited to her temperamentally. We get on well. Your character is superior. You are a greater person. I doubt that she would face what you have with me or support me as well. Okay. So what are we going to do about this, Jack? <laughs> eh. Eh. Betty fucking sucks, dude. And yeah. Jack sucks too right here. Yeah, like this is really crossing a boundary. Yeah. Especially when your relationship is already open. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you already have so much, so much leeway. So much ground to explore, so much freedom. Now, so why do the one thing that's like off limits? If you, any of you out there who know the story of L. Ron Hubbard, Betty, this Betty, this person, one of L. Ron Hubbard's wives. Oh my God. Yes. Wow. Yes. Holy shit. We'll get to that on a later episode. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Betty. Yeah, yeah. No, Betty's a fucking demon. Betty. Betty is a fucking demon. She and to really what is. end? What, like, well, Jane Wolfe, uh, OGOTO, an influential magician, described Betty as having a, a quick, deft mind, the spirit to take what she wants regardless, and I think her chief interest in life is amusement, and she thinks she's so right. No one liked <laughs> Well, I, lots of people loved her, but a few people fucking saw the, the demon with it. Right. Okay, so here's the thing. If this was a TV show, right... I would fucking love Betty because she's a, a character that, yeah, she sows chaos. Well, dude, I mean, she's a fucking bastard, too. Like, her and Helen never got along. And that's why it was even more fucked up because, like, you know, their stepfather was terribly fucking abusive and shit. Mm-hmm. And, like, Betty was always telling Helen to, like, what are you so upset about that? It's nothing. Get over it. Like, about the abuse she suffered at the hands of her stepfather. Like, yeah. her younger sister was always belittling her for feeling anything at it right right like she's a bastard mm-hmm. betty sucks betty fucking sucks yeah that's yeah. terrible yeah beautiful though or for the everyone talks about how beautiful and charming she was and shit like i just oh feel, you just know she you know, gave such good blowjobs helen is I, I think i i don't know if i straight up said it last helen is the best person in this story yeah helen is a saint mm-hmm. helen is a wonderful human being mm-hmm just that's just i'm not gonna say that about anyone else in this story but <laughs> just yeah she's the best person in this story yeah so like and you know this whole thing also fed jack's like imagined version of himself too right uh in a letter addressed to helen from this time he he wrote quote a man a poet should be alive be drunken in love betrayed hurt lifted from pinnacle to pinnacle as he's fucking her sister and just talking to her about it Yeah. Yeah. He's like, why can't you let me experience the throes of love and passion and drama? Why can't you let me be the dysfunctional person that I am? Magicians are so fucking dramatic. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Of course they are. But, you know, at this time, like Helen wrote in her diary of, unquote, the sore spot where my heart should be. Damn. (laughs) Yet Helen found her own new companion in Wilfred Smith. You don't say. I, I say. Okay. Yeah. Head head of the Agape Lodge. High priest in the OTO. I'm into it. Which Jack approved of and only seemed to strengthen their friendship. Interesting. All of their friendships. Like, Jack and Helen stayed close, close friends forever. You know, ultimately, Helen and Jack weren't meant to be. Yeah. And I guess that was the catalyst that ended it. But they were, I mean... They were still good friends. They stuck yeah. around each other, living together and all right. this shit for a long... Like, 
Yeah. And Helen Wilfred would be together for the rest of Wilfred's life. And Helen would remain in the OTO long after Jack left. Word. Yeah. Helen was mistrustful of it at first, but that was her thing. You know, that's not a bad way to approach it. No. Yeah. Like, it's it's all cool. Mm-hmm. Realistically. Like, it's all cool between them. I'm sure the initial sting was very, very painful. Oh, I'm sure it all sucked. The but thing, ultimately, would... their love for each other was strong enough to... This whole type of living situation seems yeah. like the worst fucking thing in the world to me. Uh, I couldn't yeah. tolerate it for a goddamn day. Fuck that entirely. I want nothing to do with it. It's like, what are you doing? It's so fucking dramatic. Just God, give it a... Uh, it's not for me. <laughs> so, but beyond that, like, I don't know. They did it all right. They did all right. But not all magicians are as traumatic as these fucking assholes were. The rest of the OTO was starting to crumble because of all the fucking soap opera bullshit yeah. happening around these guys. Yeah. 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 Cause they were just like, like, yeah, we're like kind of open. Like, we, like we sleep with other people. We're still married. Like it's not our whole fucking lives. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why are you making, why is this all about who's fucking who all of a sudden? Yeah. There's a whole goddamn religion here. Right. Like the at home drama was starting to, yeah, it's supersede everything else. Yeah, consume what was happening at at the lodge. Yeah. And like, you know, when they did the ceremonies, like it was Wilfred Smith being the high priest and then this ex-opera star Regina Call as the priestess. And uh Wilfred just repl- and like that was Wilfred's lady, like they were together. And then Helen just replaces fucking Regina all of a sudden and Regina had been in there way longer than the Parsons and shit. Mm. And so they're just like, what the fuck? What is all this? And so she was all pissed and she fucking. All like, fair and love and war. Yeah. Um, she, Regina called helped Smith establish the Agape Lodge in California. Right. <laughs> Pendle um, writes that it was her drive and domineering forcefulness were all that kept the lodge from disappearing amidst the expulsions and quarrels of the 30s. But a new wind was blowing. Not only had Helen replaced Call in Smith's bed, but Parsons was also taking over her role as the dynamic organizer of the lodge. So she's 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 top brass now, Helen. And mm. Regina's like, what are, uh, well, fuck me, I guess. I don't get to do anything anymore. Yeah. Which sucks, but I you don't. Know. But no matter how much they fucking complained over the fucking sexual soap opera bullshit, when Parsons spoke at group events, people were visibly moved by his words. Like he was a great writer and a great orator. And like it that kind of kept the group together, but not in like a he never got got by the cult leader virus you know what i mean like he could just do that and like because he understood the shit and believed in it like he never went for that he wasn't trying for that like he was a bastard a lot of times he wasn't that type of bastard right and it was uh pendle writes some of them with tears in their eyes likened his appeal to that of president roosevelt himself okay and jack had an idea he believed he could boost the lodge's morale by Buying him a new house or renting one at least, leasing one. Sure. Yeah, you can just do that. Through his mother's contacts, he found a mansion at a hundred a thousand three Orange Grove Ave in Pasadena. If you remember, Orange Grove Ave is where Jack grew up, Millionaire's Mile. Mm. Prices had fallen quite a bit, so it was no longer Millionaire's Mile, but it was still fucking Orange Grove Ave, right? It's beautiful. It's paradise. It's a fucking mansion that used to belong to like this ultra millionaire back when a millionaire was like a billionaire now. And the goth kids are right. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> and Wilfred and Helen thought it was a fantastic move, and everyone went to Pasadena. The house was gorgeous with sprawling gardens and a carriage house that Jack turned into his personal laboratory. All these, like, tons of bedrooms. And, like, a, yeah, just a fucking mansion in Pasadena, right? Jack also began donating nearly all of his paychecks to the OTO, keeping only $10 a month for himself. That's nice. He's paying for fucking everything. I mean, he should probably keep more for himself. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. He's like, it's fucking ridiculous. But he believes in it. Um, They were also like amongst like old ass money and shit. Mm -hmm. These fucking old rich people. And they're at at this at the same time as Jack is like inventing these fucking new rockets. This procession of fucking robe and clad torch carrying groovy motherfuckers are walking through the garden in Pasadena, intoning these fucking ancient chants, and Helen's carrying the Egyptian fucking steel of revealing, like this, these hieroglyphs and shit. Wilf- Wilford Smith is like, and that's a ceremony they did. Like, whoa, like, that's like Jane fun. Wolf, white haired Jane Wolf led the way, carrying a picture of Aleister Crowley, followed by Wilford Smith with the Book of the Law. Regina Call carried an Egyptian tablet, and Helen Parsons with a small model ark. Upon entering the house, Wilfred Smith intoned in his best wizard's voice, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This mansion in Pasadena and all the neighbors are thoroughly freaked out. Mm. Yes. And they tried living in a... They tried the commune thing, right? And they, they imagined that they would all share responsibility. They thought of uh, 1003 as a profess house, a utopian mission sheltering a community of true thelemites. Then the reality of commune living... Uh, set in to these fucking nerds who are not ready for it. Jane, the elderly Jane Wolf was left to do the shopping for the entire house, while Phyllis Seckler was expected to do all the cooking as well as look after her own children. Wilfred Smith had given up his job as a gas clerk, was asked to look after the animals and the vegetables. He, he took that as an affront, and he complained that uh, those jobs were more in keeping with those of a handyman than a priest of the OTO. Uh-huh. I don't think so. I think that's a very noble job. It is. I think that's very nice, tending to the vegetables and the earth Wilford and the animals. The yeah. Yeah. Um, and Betty wasn't doing shit. Uh, and the incessant cries of the members' children added to the tension. The noise sent the usually benign Parsons into the foulest of moods. Hmm. And back at Aerojet, Jack had a problem. So, like, they're living in this fucking commune. Shit's... No one wants to do the work. Jack's yeah. paying for fucking everything. Mm. He's donating like 95% of his paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Not ideal. And back at Aerojet, there's a goddamn problem. The Jados aren't powerful. And, and like the, the they were making two types of Jado, liquid fueled and solid fuel. Yeah. Pee pee poo poo. Pee pee poo poo. Martin Summerfield was the liquid fuel guy. Jack Parsons was a solid fuel guy. Mm-hmm. Right? And they couldn't get the solid fuels as powerful as the army was requiring them to be. Right. Common problem. This is a recurring fucking theme. But this seemed to be the limit of what black powder-based fuels could do. Could not think of any... Like, there was just... No one could think of any fucking math to get it right. No one could think of any goddamn anything. Yeah, but so they, they seemed like... It seemed like they, they were... We can't do anything more with black powder. This is the mm-hmm. end of the line for this technology. That's what it looked like. That's what the equation said. That's what fucking everyone looking at. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. And wasn't enough to keep up with the demands the military was placing on Aerojet, right? Mm-hmm. Right here is what Jack Parsons should be known for. This is his 
scientific fucking breakthrough, the legendary breakthrough that he'll be known for in science forever. Parson, Jack Parsons' Eureka moment came probably, it's apocryphal, while watching uh, workers pour asphalt on a roof to fix it. Well, let me ask you before I say it. Have you ever heard of something called Greek fire? No. No. Greek fire is fucking wild. Okay. Yeah. This was a super weapon that the ancient Greeks invented. And to this day, no one knows what the actual recipe of it is. Uh. It was a flammable liquid tar that they would shoot out of. I don't know if they would spray it or fucking if it was bombs or whatever. But somehow they'd fucking soak you in this flaming liquid tar that just clung to everything it touched, but was also like very fluid and like splashed and burned very hot. And it's terrible. Yeah. So they would, yeah, it's fucking terrible. It's first like super. Sounds like one of the worst ways to die ever. Yeah. It was, it was literally like one, like the first super weapon. Yeah. Thing about Jack is he was able to fucking think laterally from thing. Mm-hmm. He, when he was thinking of a problem with rocket fuel, he was looking to science fiction friends or looking to other people. Like he wasn't just looking, what do I know about rockets? Yeah. Right. He was looking anywhere he could just spreading the net wide and shit. And so He's just fucking walking around t- talking about this, thinking about this problem. And he sees these two, according to Homer Bushy, the uh, the test pilot, he said he was with him when they saw two workers pouring asphalt on a roof to fix it. And it reminded him of Greek fire. Like, because he saw mm. it like steaming and shit. Yeah. And he had done a ton of reading about that because he loved the classics and all this shit. And so he's like, what if I make a, what if I turn solid rocket fuel into as like an asphalt what if i use an asphalt to mm-hmm. seal all the cracks and increase the fucking the shit right so inspired by this jack started developing a new recipe and an entirely new type of rocket fuel it was called galset 53 the 53rd rocket fuel recipe developed at galset it was the first castable solid state rocket fuel you should have named it cast. something cooler galset 53 is pretty cool dude yeah i know name. but like you know they all have names like that that's a good one yeah. It could be like, I don't know. Greek fire. No, but yeah, that's way too cool. rock and roll for a military name. Yeah. Because then they know what's coming at them, you know? I don't know. Some military names are pretty crazy. Project Artichoke. <laughs> right. Project Midnight Climax. That's funny. Project Stargate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this, this shit was castable so that you could, you know, shape it. In, in a cast, you know, let it drop. Mm-hmm. You didn't just have to pour it in, right? And tamp it down. Like they were still loading these rockets like fucking black powder rifles. Having to tamp it down, that was the whole... Yeah. yeah. This shit, Galsa 53 was safe. Much, like so much safer than anything else they had ever worked with. It was mass producible. It burned extraordinarily efficiently. And it is the precursor. It is the first of its type of the rocket fuels we still use today. Mm-hmm. Like now it's... uh there's plastics in there and shit, plastic explosives, but it's the same principle and it's the same type of rocket fuel as Jack Parsons just fucking clicked. He just, it just clicked in his fucking head. I mean, it took a while to develop, but his idea was just fucking spot on from pulling from the classics and shit. Yeah. Like it's, it's fucking, it's wild. Frank Molina called Gauss at 53, one of the most important discoveries in the long history of rocketry. It was a stroke of like divinely inspired genius. Mm-hmm. Right. And it performed excellently under tests. It could be stored indefinitely. And it took only five minutes to pour it into a unit compared to the 45 minutes that was taken. That's a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also, it didn't blow up. 
you could handle it. It wasn't going to explode in the wrong temperature or if it was dropped and fucking knocked around. It could be mm-hmm. stored, moved around. Yeah, and all of the booster rockets that put the space shuttle into into space are, mar- are modeled after Jack Parsons fucking modeled after this invention. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like this cool. is, yeah, this is the type, yeah, fucking nuts. And it made them both a scientific and commercial success. And soon the military was off, was ordering hundreds, then thousands of Aerojet's Jados. Meanwhile, the Gallicet project, which was running concurrently, and Frank Molina was in charge of that, continued with the experimentation and invention side of things. The Agape Lodge was similarly thriving. Since the move to Orange Grove Ave, they had initiated over 40 new members, including Ed Foreman and his wife. Oh, shit. Yeah. Jack wrote this letter to Ed, convincing him to join. (laughs) I'm a great one to talk, but it's about time you got out from under the domination of your emotions. Ed was always crashing his motorcycle and shit. That was kind of his his vice, was crashing his motorcycle. Oh, Ed. He goes on to say, uh, you should be able to master your, you should be able to say to your temper, your hangover prejudices, your old conflicts and impulses. I am master here. You do what I say and make it stick. It would be fine for all of us to learn more tolerance towards others and more intolerance towards ourselves. Above all things, have a good time. You only live once. Quite a convincing letter. Yeah, I'd join a cult with that. Fuck it. Yeah. (laughs) You only live once, hell yeah. The OTO threw a a secular equinox party and invited the Caltech people and all this shit, and they went. The Aerojet people and the Caltech people were at the OTO house and shit. Mm -hmm. Um, There was to be no preaching, just good fun. But right around that time, Crowley had just penned another one of his... Liebers. Yes. This was called Lieber Oz. It was a short, like, you know, almost like a list of the commandments, pre- preaching all these groovy things, like groovy rights that you have, uh, you know, that Thelema says you have. Mm-hmm. And it's all really groovy until it comes to the line that a principal had never shown up before. Man has the right to kill those who would thwart, thwart these rights. You can't have that line around when there's going to be Fed snooping around. Yeah. Right? You can't. So Jack... Was like get all these fucking copies out of this house. We're not talking about it. And the OTO people are like, dude, you let the government fucking get you. Are you are you really are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. But <laughs> Jack quelled their rage by saying that no no no. Listen, I do in fact want to martyr myself with the lamo, but I want it to make headlines. And like right now, I'm nobody. Like I'm still nobody. I'd barely make a splash. There's too much other shit going on. So like we're saving it. We're saving that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, with that line of bullshit, he, he won their loyalty. They were like, yeah, yeah, you get it. Okay. <laughs> so that was his, the reason he gave them for why they needed to get rid of the books. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, oh, it won't make enough of a splash now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, Jane Wolf wrote afterwards, she's like, he knows his power, he knows what he wants, and he knows his royalty. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nerds. Wow. Yeah. And like, so they were... This OTO Lodge was about sex and fucking having a good time. And that's why it attracted, like, it was like a, a place people could be Two pan. It could, yeah. It was a very, yeah, two pan. Exactly. That was the spirit of the Agape Lodge. Yeah. Was um, partying and wine, women, and song, right? Like, having a good goddamn time in a toga. And it completely flew in the face of what Philema was supposed to be, mm-hmm. according to Crowley and his little fucking... These little fucking yes men. These little spies. They're like Disney sidekicks. I swear to God. That's at least how I, I picture Crowley as a Disney character a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got like, he's got, little, got his little minions fucking around. Mm-hmm. I can see it. Um, I have, like, Glamour's supposed to be a religion. These dudes are just partying. They're just fucking partying. But that's the whole reason people were joining, Al. That's the only reason they were getting people. 
Yeah. That's what the people wanted. Like it was the only place gay people could go be gay. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the only place people could go fucking get high, talk about crazy magic bullshit, not worry about whether a theosophist was judging them. Yeah. Be some cool scientists too. And maybe do a bunch of cocaine. <laughs> definitely do Sounds a bunch like of cocaine. a good time to Drink me. Jack Parsons homemade absinthe. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. But that's not what Thalame is about. Or at least Thalema permits that entirely. But that's not what just what the religion's about. Yeah. And Crowley was fucking pissed. Um, and like Grady McMurtry, who had been studying with Crowley, right? He found out that since they moved to Orange Grove Ave, they hadn't performed the Gnostic Mass once. Like they literally, Wilfred Smith and Jack Bars were literally just... How long has it been? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But like at least a couple months. Yeah. But they just seemed to go right into like partying and shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and in fact, Jack Parsons fucked Grady McMurtry's wife while he was overseas. They were cool with it. But then she got pregnant and Jack was just like, oh, I'll pay for the abortion. It's cool. And he was like, Grady McMurtry, who's been studying with Aleister Crowley, already thinks they're making a mockery of this shit. He's just like, fuck you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah, that was an actual falling out. I, Why? Because of the abortion? It was just kind of the last straw. Like, uh, George Pendle says it was Jack's callousness that yeah. kind of ended their friendship. Because Grady McMurtry was going into the priesthood, essentially. Mm-hmm. The place where Jack was supposed to be going. But Jack was just doing cocaine and banging with Wilfred Smith. Yeah. Right. And that was and a lot more cocaine, too. They're just taking amphetamines, cocaine, eating opiates and scarfing down fucking peyote. That's what they were getting into in Orange Grove Ave. Mm. They were, Jack started doing a lot of fucking drugs. Yeah. Like constantly. All of those things constantly. And he was as much of an expert on drugs as he was explosives. And he was cooking up the fucking shit with uh, characteristic reckless abandon. <laughs> yeah. The FBI started asking questions again. Their investigation concluded that there was nothing un-American going on. Crowley and his inner circle were fucking furious. And they blamed it all on Wilfred Smith. He was the whole problem. Carl Germer wrote to Crowley, I'd better slow down. I'm getting hot under the collar. Can't even type straight. However, in American slang, it burns me up to see the order and all that it stands for represented as a 7th Ave social club with who's slept with whom vying with drunk exhibitionism as the topic of as the topic of the moment. I am no prude, but neither do I care for obscenity and vulgarity in my sexual life, nor do I think it a good foundation on which to build a stable, worthwhile lodge of the order. Do you? Crowley did not. Crowley yeah. ordered Yeah, cuz he's got a fucking point. Right. You know? I think like honestly, they can they can be tied the yeah. two things, but they should probably be separate. Yeah. Like you go to mass, you do your shit, mm-hmm. and then maybe you have your orgy at someone's house after and it's optional for you don't whoever wants. You sell to. the group as that. Yeah, and you don't, you know, you just leave that out of the lodge. You mm-hmm. go and go do that somewhere else maybe. Yeah. Like keep it separate. Crowley ordered Smith to step down in 1943. Separate church and taint. Separate church and taint, man. Yeah. Um, Crowley ordered Smith to step down in 1943, and Helen and Jack wrote a joint letter to Crowley because they, you know, all knew each other Mm -hmm. at this point, uh, imploring him not to believe what Carl Germer was saying, that Wilfred's a great dude and shit. To patch things up, Jack decided to publish a monthly magazine that he would fund called The Aura Flame. Uh, it'll be great. We'll talk all about Thelema and how great Thelema is. It's going to be awesome. We get so many more people who are really interested in what Thelema is all about for real. Just, it's all good. The centerpiece of the first issue is a poem written by Jack Parsons. 
I hate Don Quixote. I live on peyote, marijuana, morphine, and cocaine. I never knew sadness, but only a madness that burns at the heart and the brain. I see each charwoman ecstatic, inhuman, angelic, demonic, divine. Each wagon a dragon, each beer mug a flagon okay. that brims with ambrosial wine. <laughs> <laughs> each wagon a flagon. Yeah. Further on, there's... Um, I mean, it's long. Like, it's not... Oh, keep going. Yeah. Give me another verse. I went to the city and found it a pity. The devil was playing at hell, and ten million mortals had entered hell's portals and thought they were all doing well. I said, see, dear people, on every church steeple, an imp of the devil at play. See, ghouls cut their capers in daily newspapers, and fiends in police courts hold sway. The mountains are palaces, women are chalices, meant to be supped and not sold. The desert of banquet hall set for a festival, ripe for the free and the bold. When in the sky are ours, heaven and all its stars, waken and do what you will. Break with this demon-spawned, hell-spired nightmare. Bond, magic lies over the hill. He started getting real drunk when he was writing those verses. They said I was crazy, ambiguous, lazy, disgusting, fantastic, obscene. So I hide from my sagebrush and cactus and cornmush to see if the air was still clean. Oh, I hide Don Quixote. I live on peyote, marijuana, morphine, and cocaine. And may I be twice damned for a bank clerk or storehand if I visit the city again. I like it. It's fucking sick. Yeah. It's fucking like dope as hell. Poem. You can see why Crowley was pissed, though. Yeah. <laughs> Smith stepped down and Jack was made, made acting head of the Agape Lodge. But like Jack started organizing frantically. He was like, oh, fuck, I'm in charge now. I got to do this right. Mm-hmm. He started organizing tarot classes, Crowley classes, all sorts of real philemic shit just immediately. Because it was actually Wilfred Smith. That was the whole problem. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it just was. <laughs> and like Germer and uh, the other psychophant, Max Schneider, ended up like really pleasantly surprised by Jack's responsibility and leadership. They're like, oh, fuck. No, he really was the real deal. Yeah. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. Oh, wow. Jack's really pulling this off. Like they're amazed. They yeah. can't believe it. And Crowley was like, yeah, because fucking Smith's an asshole. <laughs> and like I knew that, that was the whole problem. Smith's just a cokehead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just all it is. Uh, under Jack's, in too deep. Yeah. Under Jack's leadership, they threw a solstice party in 1943 at around midnight, and Jack led a candlelight procession through the gardens with the beating of drums before couples joined hand in hand and leapt over a fire in a fertility rite. And five children would be born to OTO members that year. Sounds inclu- fun. Including Helen. Although the child would bear the parson's surname, Wilfred Smith was the dad. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And everyone knew it before... Before, I was just like, yeah, that's... Right. Kid's name is Quen. Jack doesn't want a son named Quen. <laughs> and Jack wrote to Crowley and implored him because he knew that he wasn't... He wanted Smith fucking out. He wanted Wilfred totally fucking gone. He implored him not to take further action against Wilfred until after the kid was born. Just like, dude, like, just let them fucking figure their shit out. They're having a, a kid. Just, just wait, please. Crowley respected that. But the day, the day <laughs> the kid was born... Crowley pulls the funniest, shittiest thing I have ever heard of. Comes up with another book. It's called Lieber 132, which is, I suppose, what the name Wilfred T. Smith reduces to in Gematria. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this fucking book, which he writes and publishes, throws out there, he makes all these crazy calculations, like astrological calculations, Kabbalistic calculations, ge- Gematria calculations, and like, you know, shows his work and the proofs and all this shit mm-hmm. that comes with one conclusion. Wilfred Smith is not a man after all, but an incarnation of some God. 
Okay. <laughs> so, because Wilfred, here's the, the, you're not a man, Wilfred, you're a god. That's why you're so, that's, I always knew there was something special about you. What you gotta do, Wilfred. This is an evil thing to put in someone's head. What you gotta do. You gotta leave, Wilfred. You gotta go find out what god you are. You gotta leave. Go on a pilgrimage. You gotta tattoo the number 666 on your forehead. Oh, Jesus Christ. Does he do it? <laughs> go find out what god you are, Wilfred. And most importantly, he must never have contact with lodge members ever again because the divine nature must never be contaminated or cheapened by human associations. Wilfred, Helen, and Jack get this letter. Get They read this shit and they're like, first they're like... Calculations are completely. I mean, he's not lying. That does line. He shows his work and shit. This dude's a fucking asshole. Yeah, <laughs> like they knew exactly what was going on. Right. They were like, "Wow, he really, he really did that." Because they, they he's can't really argue. try and do the calculations. Like that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, is inventing the connections and shit. Like that's the fucking. Oh, for know? sure. Um, and they understand. They all understand that. <sighs> so they just they're like it's like they're just looking at this and going. Guess, guess we gotta leave? And Jack's like, I mean, take your fucking time. They're like, I don't fucking want to deal with this shit anymore. Fuck all this. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, <laughs> Crowley fucking, he didn't care who knew what he did either. Mm-hmm. You know? So does Wilfred do it or what? Fuck no. No, not at all. Okay. No, they moved to a turkey farm. Oh. Yeah, Helen and Wilfred Excellent. just moved to a turkey farm to have, you know, with their son and fucking. Like, meanwhile, Crowley's like, He's writing to Carl Germer. He's like, no doubt by this time you will have... He doesn't talk at that. No doubt by this time you will have got my solution to the Smith problem. His departure should clear things up considerably, although it will take a little time to get rid of the old influence. That's what I'm talking about. Fucking (laughs) nerd. He's such a weird nerd. Yeah. I don't know. It's it amuses me. Something about his character seriously amuses me. He thinks he sees a lot more than he does. Uh Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like he's like looking through a window and like directing things, but there's like (laughs) (laughs) But actually have lives. He's just hanging out, watching cartoons, writing letters. So Wilfred and Helen moved to a turkey. Wilfred and Helen and Quinn moved to a turkey farm. Jack was fucking pissed and wrote that he had had enough of Crowley's and quote, appalling egotism, bad taste, bad judgment and pedanticism and submitted a resignation. Uh, now, he was fucking pissed. He submitted his resignation. Crowley wouldn't accept it. And he fucking silver tongued Jack back into acquiescence. He just fucking he just fucking charmed him again. And so Jack stayed on as the head of the OTO for a while. And this is where after this period, Jack would start addressing Crowley as father in his letters. So he's just getting got by another one. Father. Just another father figure. You have daddy issues, exactly. Jack. You have really bad daddy issues. He met his dad once when his dad was totally insane. Like he saw him like once. He was like, that's fucking sad. I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes um, it's better not to know. Yeah. So in 1944, British intelligence caught wind of the Nazis V2 rocket developed by Parsons one-time pen pal, Werner von Braun. And this changed everything. Knowing now that such rockets were possible, like missiles and like rockets to the moon and shit, because like, that's what that was, the Gaussett project began to retool itself into producing full-fledged rockets, not just jet-assisted takeoff devices. The military gave the Gaussett group $3 million to research 
straight up, fuck off, yeet it into the sky rockets. Now that okay. they knew it was possible like because step of the up Germans. from the 10,000. Dude, from the 125,000. Yeah. And also from the work. Mm-hmm. This, because this is now an extremely high budget operation. Parsons, Von Karman, Foreman, Molina, and Summerfield reorganized the Gausset, Re- Gausset Rocket Research Group and gave it a new name, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, or JPL. Aha. Uh-huh. Some suggest that the name might have a second meaning as well, Jack Parsons Laboratory. Mm-hmm. Can't be a coincidence. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Uh, by 1944, spirits were high and Andrew Haley, had uh, the, the lawyer who, the CEO of Aerojet, had moved himself next door to the OTO house. They were all getting along. Yeah. <laughs> With Jack as head of the OTO. Like now the CEO is living right next to him. Fucking Haley was throwing parties as well. This rotund fucking drunk lawyer and excellent CEO. And he fucking loved Jack Parsons. He'd often call Jack in the middle of the night when he was having a party, tell him to get over there and recite the hymn to Pan. So Jack would get all fucked up, go over to Haley's house, stand on his balcony, and recite the poem that would be forever associated with Jack Parsons. It's a Crowley poem. Thrill with the lissom lust of the light, O man, my man, come careering out of the night of Pan, Eo Pan, Eo Pan, Eo Pan, come over the sea from Sicily and from Arcady. Roaming as Bacchus with fawns and pards and nymphs and steers for thy guards on a milk-white ass. Come over the sea to me, to me. Come with Apollo in bridal dress, shepherdess and pythoness. Come with Artemis silken shod and wash thy white thigh, beautiful god. In the moon of the woods on the marble mount, the dimpled dawn of the amber fount. Dip the purple of passionate prayer in the crimson shrine, the scarlet snare. And it, it goes on and on. Yeah. Lots of pan, EO, a lot of EO pan, EO pan, yeah. EO pan, EO pan, devil or God to me, to me, my man, my man, come with trumpets sh- sounding shrill. Over the hill, come with the drums low muttering. From the spring, come with the flute and come with pipe. Am I not ripe? I don't know why I liked it so much. I can't figure out the rhythm. You're doing good. Thank you. Yeah. And so Jack would just be like, he gets a call from Haley. He's like, yeah, I'll fucking come sing the hymn to Pan. Haley's requesting that poem. Yeah. <laughs> he wants her to. And like, dude, Jack would be blessed. He would use that to bless rocket tests before they fired and shit. He was going a little hard with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was literally like, you know, doing the hymn to Pan before they did a rocket test at fucking Aerojet or JPL. Yeah. He was not compartmentalizing anymore. Right. And like what he was reciting it at Haley's house, inevitably like the Aerojet and Caltech people which just started throwing bottles at him when it got too long. <laughs> like, just how long is throwing... like how long does the poem go on? Oh, minutes. Yeah, it's a, minutes. It's sizable. Yeah. It's enough for people to get pissed at. For sure. Enough to throw bottles at, apparently. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I feel like it was that was part of it, you know. God damn it, Jack, get off the fucking balcony. Yeah. But, you know, maybe they actually were fucking pissed that Jack wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> Right. He was called to be there. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. But like that same disconnect was starting to make itself apparent at Aerojet and JPL as well. Mm-hmm. These dudes were official now. Like they every day they're getting more and more official, especially I mean, especially now that JPL exists. Three million dollars. Like the V2 rocket. Right. Like that was the that was the crazy future tech of World War Two. Mm-hmm. The Germans invented this fucking missile. That could just, it could get anywhere, right? What the fuck? The crazy long range bullshit. And so now JPL is founded like with the, with the stated goal of making the things that Jack and Ed 
always wanted to make. Jack, Ed, and Frank always wanted to make. The big fuck-off rockets that will eventually get us to the moon. The big boys. Yeah. And that's what they did start doing. Jack kind of lost... Jack was more interested in Thalema and maybe Stretch Too Thin Mm. amongst things. And like his long nights, drug use, he's on a lot of fucking drugs. Yeah. All the time. Um, Takes a toll. And just the sheer fact that he was living three lives was catching up to him. Like he'd come in bleary eyed, smelling like shit, reciting poems to the secretaries, fucking hitting on him just in full view of everybody, just not giving a fuck. A JPL. Yeah. You know? And that's not to like, uh, remember this dude, none of this would exist without this dude. Like that's super fucking important. Right. Um, And all of this shit used to fly back in the old days. It did not anymore. Right. This is one of those points in time where ex- what's acceptable changes. Like where, where an old world gives way to a new world. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think anyone would argue that like... The, ni- the early 1940s, the first half of the 1940s were when a old world gave way to a new world, right? And it's the most, we're still feeling the ripples from that to this yeah. fucking day, right? Jack was born in fucking 1914. He was, you know, he was the last of the men from the previous. Right. Uh, yeah. And he was just on peyote, fucking cocaine and amphetamines, just hitting on the secretaries and singing poems to him. Nothing mm-hmm. ever really changes. He was the last of the groofiest people. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of loved it, though. Like, it was, yeah. <laughs> But at this point, the Navy was ordering 20,000 JDOs a month from Aerojet. 20,000. That's a high volume. Remember, like, not so long ago. This is 1944. Three years, three years before this, they were... Jack and Ed were fucking hand... Hand filling eighteen right in fourteen hours to get them strapped yeah, to Homer's plane. Yeah, taking forty five minutes. Each. Yeah, now they're producing twenty thousand a month. Right of it's a big difference. And of the Galsa fifty three Jados. Mm-hmm. Now this is that's the that's the thing. They don't have the resources to do that. Still, mm-hmm. they need more capital to, to expand their production capabilities. So in nineteen forty four, Andrew Haley negotiated for the company to sell 51% of its stock at controlling interest to the General Tire and Rubber Company to cope with the increased demand. The Caltech-linked employees and shareholders, including Milliken, Clark Milliken, Fritz Zwicky, and Martin Summerfield, and under duress, Frank Molina, would only agree to the sale on the condition that Parsons and Foreman were removed from the company, viewing their occult activities as disreputable. All right. Uh. Basically, Clark Milliken and Fritz Wicke, they went to Martin Summerfield and Frank Molina and said, this is only happening if we get Parsons and Ed Foreman the fuck out of here. They wanted them gone. They fucking hated it. They hated everything about them. Yeah. Like, sure, you contributed something, but what the fuck are you? What are you doing? But they're of different worlds. Fritz Wicke is a fucking dickhead. Some of the shit he says about Jack Parsons is just like, it fucking pisses me off. He's a yeah. bastard. And he even admitted that they fucked him over later on. Mm-hmm. Frank Molina agreed, I'm going to guess, when Clark Milliken said, do you want everyone to know you're a fucking communist? Damn, <laughs> should we make that a that a whole thing? And so Molina was like, okay, yeah, fine, I guess. And he was pissed at Jack and Ed. He didn't see a future for them in rock. Because, like, Jack and Ed were not living lives that could possibly keep going in high-budget military science. Mm. Like, they weren't. They were still pulling pranks. 
yeah. and shit blowing up fuel and shit yeah. as a prank. Like that's who they were. That there's one day pulled a prank on Fritz Zwicky who like insisted on trying this fucking fuel that they Ed and Jack knew wouldn't work. But he still went for it anyway. And then they just blew it up on him. Yeah. You can't do that, guys. You really, you you can't do that. So it's like, I get it. Mm. Right? Yes. He's literally in the OTO. He's the head of the OTO. It's 1944. Mm. Like, I, w- I wish we could do that. I wish that was how things are. But they certainly weren't then, you know? So they sold. Jack sold for probably 11000 They They sold for like $11,000. Decent then. It would have been... I think over 10 million if they had held on till fucking, you know, a few decades once yeah. we went to the moon and shit. Um, yeah, but Jack didn't care. He didn't fucking care. Yeah. He was even, he wrote like, oh, commercial rocketry is on its way out anyway. Like the real money is in fucking laundromats. I think he, they tried to start a laundromat. Laundromat. But yeah, so Jack and Ed were forced to sell their stock in Aerojet. And consequently, even though it was a different organization, they left JPL as well. Jack's not hourly sad about this, but I'm sad for Jack for this. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, it 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 sucks that like right when JPL was starting to build the things they had dreamt of, right when they actually got the chance and they were using Jack's fucking super fuel. I mean, maybe Jack just didn't care to be in that stuffy ass high budget military secret tech lifestyle. Yeah. Maybe he, I mean, mean, in his writings, he says he's totally cool with it because, like, he doesn't say that rocketry was his true will. It said it was an important part of him discovering his true will. And, like, I can't help but accept that. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't necessarily think it's a tragedy that he didn't become the proper re- hyper-remembered scientist. Yeah. It doesn't really seem like how he wanted to live. I'd, it would have been really cool if he had been able to keep bridging that gap, but I don't know. He shouldn't have done so many drugs, I think. Some are fine, but, like... Don't go too hard. He wouldn't have been the same true. story without it, though. He wouldn't be the same Jack. Yeah. But now, Jack had time to focus entirely on Thalema and, more broadly, magic and sorcery and trying to get fucking magical results. This is the period in Jack's life where he will make the biggest mistake of his entire fucking life, which is moving L. Ron Hubbard into your house. <laughs> and that's where we'll pick back up next week. Oh boy, I can't wait. As the Jack Parsons saga continues. I cannot wait. All right. Me neither. Oh boy, that's a good one. Fucking Rocket Man. He's a Rocket Man. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Be sure yes, to follow indeed. us on all the things Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, yeah. Yeah. blah, blah, blah. You, you know how it be. Yeah, rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to us. Wherever you find us. us, give us a five-star rating if you like us. Yes, please, please, please. We love you. I'll see you next week. Take care. Be well.